Welcome to our new season of Thursdays with Third Path Live podcasts. All year long, we're going to be focusing on the new ideal employee, someone who is an expert at integrating work and life. Every episode provides a chance for you to meet uh, the thought leaders and role models and change agents who've been part of the Third Path community. And if you're excited about what you're hearing today, please help us get our important message out uh, by sharing our podcast with your friends. We've got an exciting season planned, particularly talking about why the new ideal employee is someone just like you, someone who wants to integrate work and life. And today we've got two exciting guests, someone I've known almost since the beginning of Third Path Institute. Um, her name is Kristen Mashka. She's the author of This Is Not How I Thought It Would Be, um, she's also an executive coach for women in higher education and nonprofits, the parent of one college age child, and you'll see why it's relevant today. She's been partnered with her uh, husband for over 28 years, and you'll see why this is kind of a relevant topic today. But we're also going to start with an exciting new guest, someone new to the Third Path community, Kate Mangio. Um, she is the author of Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home. She's a gender um, trainer and facilitator for nonprofits, parent of two school-age children, and partnered with her husband for 16 years. Again, I think you'll see why some of these concepts are so important. Uh, one of them having younger kids, the other having older kids, and showing how some of the issues that we're going to be talking today uh, really do change over time, but the seeds you plant today, right after you get off of this live podcast, are going to really uh, bear wonderful fruit for the rest of your life. So let me start by sharing a couple of important background pieces of information to get the discussion going. What you see here is a, a recent picture that came across in a really great NPR article about sharing the housework. Um, and what you see in that picture is how everybody looks so mad. And uh, I thought it was so such a good kind of way to start our conversation off today, because um, this is what, what happens in households too often. Uh, we're, we're facing many, many stressors, and we all end up feeling angry. I joke in this slide, this picture, that even the dog looks mad. But what Kate Mangino is gonna be teaching us today is that she wrote a book to remind us that cultural norms and traditions are just as influential to our gender behavior as law and policy. And so what we're gonna be talking about is what shapes those cultural norms and those traditions and how can we make them work better for us? The best way I thought she, well, she did this in many, many great ways, but one of the ways I loved that she did this was to start right off with a case study with Frida and Miriam. Because what she helped us see is that, yes, this plays out in households where it's a mom and dad, but the issues we're gonna be talking about can play out in households where there's two moms, two dads, uh, two parents who are sharing the care of their kids, but divorced, uh, never married. These are issues that can play out in many, many different households. So I really liked that she gave us a, a broader lens to think about these issues. And she talked about Frida as a public school teacher. Uh, her day ended pretty much at four o'clock. 
And Miriam had a management role in a software company. She had a longer work day, ending her day more like 7 p.m. And she talks about how Frida and Miriam were getting into some, what I would call gendered roles, even though it's a two-mom household. And that there were some factors playing out that made this happen. Partly it's economics. We can, you know, sometimes that's really the case. Sometimes that's just what we believe. And there's that statement that, you know, we've heard too many people say, well, she makes more than me. So I'm doing the housework and or whatever that's playing out in home in some way. Sometimes it uh, plays out on personality. You know, I'm just much better at getting something done. Sometimes it's different priorities. You know, people need to get clear about how clean is clean. And uh, there, she also talks about um, the bossy wife, uh, the one who's going to say, hey, you got to do it my way and how that can really get in the way of uh, couples learning how to share things better or the supervising wife. And I put wife in quotes here because, again, remember, this is Frida and Miriam, where it's a two mom household or in this case, it's a two women household. Um, and so, you know, what she's getting at is that there's many different factors that can kind of play out in us uh, falling into more gendered patterns, including what she refers to as benevolent sexism, where, you know, you're saying something nice, but it's basically still reinforcing the old way. What we've seen is that there's a lot of forces at work that can push couples into uh, kind of playing out more traditional gendered roles. But what I love in Kate's book is she's reminding us that there's all kinds of positives that can happen if we can do things differently. She, her book really elegantly talks about how we can really have a, when, when men and women or you know, any household thinks differently about this, uh, that especially when we think of men still as kind of in the provider role of, and financial provider, that what she saw in her couples where they were sharing things more fairly, that they the men had, to, both partners had adopted a more broader definition of provider. Instead of just thinking it as financial, it's providing care and all kinds of other things. And then what couples figured out how to really share things better, there was more love and happiness. It was actually one of the reasons why these men who were sharing wanted to do things differently. In fact, she also saw in couples where men and women were sharing more, or there was a more shared approach, a motivator was supporting their partner to do and live the life that they wanted. And another reason she saw in this group of uh, couples that she saw who did a more shared approach, that they both wanted a greater connection with their kids. So there's these really positive reasons why we can adopt a more shared approach that's motivating us to do this. But what we've learned at Third Path for the last two decades is that there's a lot of negative forces at work too. Some around how we work, some around how we do family, some around expectations around careers and leadership. And so I've made a little list. It could be negative thinking at home or limited thinking by our friends or family members. It could be limited thinking at our workplaces. Um, and again, that whole issue around finances, sometimes very real um, and sometimes perceived limits around finances. And, you know, really, we just don't have enough support from public policy. But again, today's focus is on kind of what we have control over changing right now to make a more shared approach at home. 
And so we've been for years thinking about these issues at Third Path, and we happen to call it shared care, but I love the phrase equal partners as well. And in general, what we've thought about when we were uh, imagining these households trying to figure out a more shared or equal approach is that we all have limited energy. So one way to think about it is that, you know, we both are two parents or even before you have children, two people who have a certain amount of energy for work, a certain amount of energy for their life responsibilities, and hopefully some energy left over for recharge time. And that what we've seen over the last two decades is that people who get good at boundary setting, how much work they take on, how much they decide to take on at home or not do, maybe have somebody else hire out somebody to help with some stuff at home, that when they get good at boundary setting um, and both uh, partners or parents get good at boundary setting, they can find more solutions that work for everybody involved. Some of those couples will focus on equal. It's important that it's be an equal approach, some more of a shared approach. Maybe one person does a little bit more than the other, but it's a shared and everybody's feeling like it's a fair solution. Most importantly, when you approach things this way, you become better and better at work-life integration and develop a really group, important group of integration skills. In fact, that's what I've been talking about and we'll be talking about all year long is that we really do believe that there is a set of work-life integration skills that creates a better solution in our households and in our workplaces. In our last Thursday webinar, which you can find if you search Thursdays with Third Path on your website, you, we talked about some of the skills that we use at work. But today, we're gonna be looking at some of the skills that we can use at home. And in particular, this idea that we want to think about the future. Yes, uh, we don't have kids right now, but one day maybe we wanna have kids or maybe we have young kids right now, but one day they're gonna become school age or empty nesters. Um, and that as we go through these life changes that we're going to make plans and make priorities, but I can guarantee that we're also going to then have to reprioritize because things don't always go according to plan. And we've got some great free third path resources about this on our website too, including this list of work-life integration skills. So as I mentioned, we've got Kate Mangino here today, really excited to have her with us. And we've got Kristen Mashka here today, longtime third path participant. Welcome both of you. Welcome, Hello. welcome. So glad to have you both, Kristen and Kate. It's really a pleasure. And we're going to start with Kate, because again, you've got this book out there, fresh off the publishing you know, route out there, getting the word out. And we want to help you in every way we can, because it's such an important book, such an important topic, so dear to our hearts. Um, as you hear us talk a little bit about these you know, truths about work-life integration and the challenges that couples face, whether it's two moms, two dads, or two, you know, mom and dad. <laughs> what are some of the things that you've learned that make you most hopeful about change? And then we'll talk about what makes it harder around change. In terms of, well, first of all, thank you for having me here today. I've been looking forward to this note on my calendar for a long time, and I am really excited to be part of Third Path um, today. So thank you for the invitation. And I'm glad you started with hope. Um, I noticed on one of your slides that you focused on sort of positive thinking 
Um, I have a background in appreciative inquiry, and I think that we just are, it's more fun to work towards the future when we're focusing on what we do well, as opposed to what we're bad at. And although I think that it's really important to call out bad behavior, there are Harvey, Harvey Weinsteins in the world, and we need to we, we need that moment of accountability where we talk about that and call it out. And that's very important, but I don't think we do enough. I think Third Path does it, but there, I mean, mainstream media necessarily doesn't do enough to call out the everyday actions that men are taking that are wonderful. And so that's where I wanted to base my book is that, you know, cleaning a toilet is not necessarily a super sexy story and isn't going to get published um, in the New York Times. Uh, but I think when you, you know, talk about men as a group and the men that I interviewed for my book, the equal partners, just to focus on all of those day-to-day -day things that they do that make equality and gender equality possible. So my hope is that, or my comment about hope is that I work internationally more. I work more overseas than I do in the United States. And I have never met a community or a group that isn't willing to talk about gender, especially when you start with a statement like, gender inequality is bad for all of us and people of all genders can be harmed by gender inequality. It puts all of us into a box. And let's start there. I find that everyone has something to share. Everyone has felt that they have been put into a box at some point in their life because their gender identity, they've been kept from doing something or they've been forced to do something else. And starting from that place, my hope and my, I'm just pleased to see that so many people are on board to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd argue, Kate, that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in two decades is how much men are frustrated by the gendered mm -hmm. box that they're in yeah and um and that actually that's probably been the biggest change way before the pandemic was uh seeing this growing group of of men and then fathers who really were tired of, of the old script around masculinity um mm -hmm. so yay for you to frame it differently um and i think that um we're seeing a lot of movement and that positive movement in that direction so, so that's that is heartening, and and us too. I, I never really thought of myself as someone who approached it from an appreciative inquiry way, but I think that's probably what we've done at Third Path. What what are some of the challenges that you think are are making it especially hard for couples to to get to this place? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is that there is still confusion over. Um, biology and socialization. There is still confusion around myth and fact. <laughs> and people still think, you know, oh, my wife is just better organized and she's a natural multitasker. So I let her do this. People still say to me, you know, moms just are natural caregivers. They have a maternal instinct that men don't have. I hear things like, you know, men just don't know what to do with kids. You know, it's better for mom to be home while they're little. I hear these things that people have set, heard so much and they say so much that they've started to believe it, but they are myths. <laughs> and so I think a lot of my work is um, gently challenging those myths and getting people to think through them and do some self-reflection and to look at their own biases and think, are these really facts or are these just socialized behaviors that we have come to accept as fact? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, a little bit later, we're going to be talking about kind of these three ways that people can make some changes. And one is, you know, modeling something different, 
role reinforcement. And then you talk about this concept of norm perception. And maybe that's what happens in households that are moving in the right direction is that, you know, they're starting to break down that perception that I'm the only one who, I, female, am the only one who can comfort a child. Yeah. Or I, the more caring mom in a two-mom household, or is the only one who can comfort a child. Um, you know, or I, dad, the more sensitive one in a two-dad household. But instead, they're starting to say, no, actually, we both can comfort a child. And, and they're starting to break down and question uh, the way they were thinking. Uh, and that that then becomes this positive cycle, I think, where these discussions can happen and people can think smarter about what's possible. And I think that even outside of our relationships, a lot of these myths are um, perpetuated by friends, neighbors, in-laws, sisters, <laughs> uh, faith community. And so I think that there's a lot that we all can do. You know, when you hear someone say, you know, women are just better caregivers, you know, wherever that is, if you have the power to speak up and say, mm, I don't know if I believe that anymore, you know, or, or, you know, where did you, where did you come to believe that and why, you know, just to sort of start to, because when people say these things and no one says anything back and we just smile and nod our head, they're assumed to be true, right? That just sort of perpetuates the status quo. And so I think there's room to start to speak up and have those conversations and say, I don't know if I think that anymore. Yeah. 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 Actually, and what's fun about where we're going to go next is because I'm going to give Kristen the floor in a second to talk a little bit about how her story really talks about how change can happen around these uh, perceptions and, and some of the forces that were at work that, that required her to do things one way and then differently. But before I give Kristen the floor, I remember very specifically when um, my kids were very little, my husband was in charge, my mother-in-law was over visiting and my son fell down um, and bruised his knee. And I remember forcing myself to stand back because I knew that Jeff could comfort um, my son. And I knew my mother-in-law was expecting me to comfort my son. Um, and I knew that if I just stood back and let it happen the way that we were trying to do it in our family, change in her thinking would happen. By the way, she's a super supportive person, always has been. And, you know, I think ultimately my my in-laws and my parents look at Jeff and me and say, holy cow, they did something really cool. Uh, so that that can change, um, uh, you know, over time, too. So, Kristen, you you have a wonderful story you wrote about in your book that I think is just so authentic and raw and truthful that so many people would benefit from reading about it. Tell us briefly what you wrote about in your book and the journey that you guys were on way, way back. Well, I suspect that you're talking about that moment that you and I talk about frequently <laughs> because I, you know, when we had our child, I was, I was angry. I was angry all the time. And I was angry at my husband and I was angry, you know, at the world. And because I had ended up in this traditional role that I didn't want and that he didn't want. Right. And, um, and I blamed him because he was there and he was working, you know, 80 hour work weeks and he was in the line of fire and, it didn't really shift for me that we were sort of fighting the same fight against the same enemy until a visit we took to Minnesota actually. And he took our daughter who was maybe one, maybe not even at the time across the street to the park to push her on the swing. Um, and he broke down crying um, because he realized it was the first time in her short life that he'd had uninterrupted 
time with her like that. And I was like, oh, wait, it's not just me, right? He's missing out. The gendered assumptions about him at his workplace are keeping him from having the connection with his daughter that he wants. They're keeping him from having the marriage he thought we were gonna have because I was ready to kick him out of the house, right? Like who wants to come home to that, right? Um, so it was just this moment for both of us, but especially for me where I was able to shift to, oh, we really are on the same team and we're up against forces beyond our four walls. Um, and until we both look at that and how it's impacting each of us, we just aren't gonna be able to make the change that we wanna make for our own lives. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and you then, you know, and I'll, I'll say it really quickly, because you have a whole nother chapter to talk about later. Um, but, you know, you then as a as a family system began to make changes, um, you got some more support to help you with your daughter, you, uh, you both thought differently about what kind of work you wanted to do that would support you to have the lives you wanted. I think I remember even that you had um, I'm, I'm just remembering this fact. You ha- you re-celebrated your marriage at some we point. We did. We did, actually, because it, it, you're right. We went on this whole journey, and we, it was a multi-year sort of change to his job, change to my job, right? How are we going to divide up the work? How am I going to step back? I love how, you know, so both of you talked about that, like me stepping back and letting him screw up in my mind anyway, <laughs> a bunch of the childcare, um, to the tune of my daughter broke a tooth. Right. So just so you know, I'm good at stepping back, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, it, we went through this whole long journey and it was so hard and there were so many hard conversations and so many hard moments that when we felt like we got to the other side of it and we both changed our job, you know, our employment situations, Um, we'd figured out the financial part, which was a big deal for us. Like I felt really disempowered in a way I didn't expect when I was not earning money and he didn't understand it. And how do we fix that? Right. Once we got to the other side of that, we were like, you know what, our vows are, our wedding vows are different. And, and I think people don't think about that when they get married, right. You're promising, making certain commitments to each other. And so what we did is we, we literally threw our next, our next wedding is what we all call it. And our daughter was five. Um, and we threw a giant party with a hundred people, with all our families, all our friends. And we stood up and, and made new vows to each other, but we had our daughter up there with us and we made new vows to her too, because what we were committing to that was new was we were going to support each other in sharing the responsibility for caring for her. Um, and that was the commitment that we wanted to make out loud in front of our families and to our daughter, um, that that was now part of our uh, commitment to each other for the long haul. Yeah. 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 And again, we're going to touch on some of these issues as this conversation continues, but um, Kate and I were talking before today's live podcast about how there is this gener- profound generational positive impact from these kinds of changes. So here is your daughter who's now college age, mm-hmm. who's watched you guys live this very different relationship, all of her young adult life and how profound that's gonna have an impact on what she's looking for. Um, but in addition to that, just real briefly, you know, for those who are listening in with young children, maybe you're even in the sandwich generation yourself, this isn't just for children, this is also for elder care. You guys are dealing with elder care. Do you think those decisions you made a long time ago has influenced 
how you've approached elder care as well, Kristen? No, no question about it. I mean, I just, I often think about how grateful I am that we did that hard work in those first five years when you can hardly see straight, right? When you have a small <laughs> child, frankly. Um, and it seems, I think, a lot easier at that point to be like, no, 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 the, the kid will go to kindergarten or, you know what I mean? We wait a few years, it'll be better. And so to avoid some of those conversations, and I'm, and I'm here to tell you it's worth doing the work, right? Both for adolescents, our daughter struggled with major mental health issues during adolescence that we didn't plan on, but it helped, all those conversations helped us manage that period. Um, and now we are in a situation where all four of our parents, um, gratefully, are alive, but all four of them are in some amount of decline um, at different rates, right? And I just think about how hard it would be to be navigating that uh, load um, without the conversations my husband and I have had. Now, there are things that are similar. Like I have trouble, frankly, stepping back from inserting myself and helping his parents, right? They're local. Um, I've known them, you know, for 28 plus years. Um, I'm a little more flexible in my employment right now, right? So it's very hard for me to hold back. And I have to use those same skills I used before to say, no, 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 it's his responsibility. And I've told him, I've literally used those words. Your parents are your responsibility. I am happy to help if you, you know, want to give me a piece of the puzzle to take over. If you are in a jam and you need to say, hey, can you help me with this or that? Great but I have to stay in that place where they are his responsibility. Um, and I just don't know that I would have had the language to talk to him about it that way without the conversations we had when our daughter was, was small. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. And I, and I'm going to go to you, Kate next. Um, but before we hear from you about if some thoughts come to mind, as you listen to us talk about this so far, I want to just share another way it's similar is that with elder care, I also needed to say, this is Jeffrey's going to solve it his way. Um, and so giving that space for the parent to solve it differently. Um, I want to make one joke before we go back to Kate. You know, probably your daughter could have chipped her tooth on your watch too. Is that fair to say? <laughs> it's fair to say. I would have handled the aftermath differently, but I mean, she's fine. She's 22. And so far, it has not impacted her life course, right? So... You know, what seemed like a big deal then, everybody's fine. <laughs> everybody's fine. Most importantly, everybody's fine. So cool, cool. All right. So Kate, you've heard us uh, think about some of these things. Um, again, you know, what comes to your mind that you've been out there talking to couples, helping them think big about what's possible. Any any other wisdom before I share a few more uh, than that kind of visuals to help us think about the next discussion? Um, just to say how wonderful it is to hear the story from Kristen about the swing. And I think that up until now, this we've had this conversation. When I say we, I'm not third path is very different and very progressive, <laughs> but in this mainstream conversation that you see in mainstream media, it often gets stuck with um, heteronormative couples with children. And it often gets stuck as you know, women are frustrated. And I think during the pandemic, when we saw um, the pink recession and we saw what it, the impact it was happening on moms, there was a lot of angry writing. And I, I get that. I got angry too. But I, I think that's only half of the conversation. And I think that that sort of narrative puts a lot of people on the defensive. 
And I just hope that going forward, we are able to capture the conversation that we're having here and to say, it's bad for everyone. When when you have a traditional gender norm and both of you are working, but mom is doing way more of the household work and the cognitive labor than dad is doing. Yes, it is bad for her. And there is a lot of anger and resentment that can come from that. But there are long-term effects on that dad as well. And I, Kristen was getting at that. And you know, I had a similar sort of come to Jesus moment with my husband too, as many of us do. And I was working on my PhD at the time and my I studied the intersection of uh, masculinities with women's empowerment, right? So I had this like literature review in my brain on the tip of my tongue. And it was the same thing. It was, we're falling into gender patterns that thousands of other couples are falling into and it's bad for both of us. I am I am not able to reach my professional potential right now and you're not able to reach your emotional potential. And this is gonna make both of us really unhappy in the long run if we don't fix it now. And I just think that that's the narrative that I really like to emphasize and come back to that I'm not talking about hopefully working on equality because it's better for women. I think it's better for everyone. Yeah. Amen to that. And that's what I want to show is a, a couple more visuals that will help us uh, think a little bit about uh, how do we get started on this thing. One of the things that I think um, I heard both of you say that's so important is do the work early. Do the work early. And, you know, early can mean way before you have kids. And by the way, many people might decide never to have kids. I think, again, going back to Frida and Miriam, they didn't have kids and they still needed to figure this stuff out. Um, you know, who was doing what to prepare meals and get the house clean and be ready for, you know, in-laws to come for a visit. Um, these are all things that we just need to get smart about, uh, kids or no kids. But you know, what I loved in your book, Kate, is you talked about how we can start thinking about this at, you know, um, you know, the getting together stage. Um, and again, uh, I'm just simplifying some of the points you made in the book, but, you know, you need to know your worth. You know, I think that's one of the things, weird things that came in handy for me and Jeff is that I, I had no question that I was his equal partner. And I think it made it very easy for me to have these kinds of conversations. And that's not always the case in a couples for, for both parts of the couple. Um, do a values check. Um, again, for Jeff and I, I think we, in some ways I picked him because he had very similar values that time and life was more important than things. Um, and, you know, I was raised in a very non-traditional way and very comfortable thinking in a non-traditional way. Um, and I think that probably helped us too. By the way, do the work early. And the other thing that I heard us talking about early uh, be before was the dividends are big because, you know, Jeff would tell you now with fully raised children that he's lived a very different and wonderful life because of this very early work we did. Um, and then, you know, once you're in a relationship, um, you know, remember that you might approach things differently. Somebody might do one part of this work together and the other one does another part of it, or somebody has a job that looks one way, the other one has another job that looks differently. Different doesn't mean better. Um, you want somebody use a, there's a really good book we often have BHIBs on about finding a fair solution. What feels fair? Um, overcoming 
a win-lose mindset. Um, I really like this point that you're you're really trying to, oh, I guess that's right back to that point. You're trying to find solutions that feel fair, good to both, uh, both partners. Um, and I think this is really important, hold each other accountable. I often use the word, hold each other gently accountable, uh, but accountable is important because you really are um, trying to shift against some tides out there that are pushing you um, in a different direction. So before you even get together, you can be thinking about these things. As you begin to get together, you can continue to think about these things. And then along come the children. And there's even some more advice that Kate offers us. Reject perfectionism. I think this is a great one. Um, we definitely do that in our household. Uh, good enough mode is a very important mode most of the time for us uh, around you know, meals sometimes, cleaning for sure, lots of stuff. Holidays, good enough mode. Um, think twice about guilt. Interestingly, we'll talk more about this one. I don't, don't think I had that much guilt because weirdly, I felt like when I was going to work, my husband was building a relationship with the kids and that was kind of cool. Um, so putting all those together can help us get to a very different place as we um, reach for this more shared or equal partnership. I want to talk about some of the ways this plays out for men. So part of the challenge, and again, we're just doing short shift to what Kate talks about in the book, but you know, there's these expectations of what men are supposed to be like um, and how this contributes to that angry, frustrated picture there. They're supposed to be the provider. They're supposed to be stoic. They're supposed to be in control, decisive, unlike a girl. And so there's all these assumptions about what men are supposed to be playing and what, what roles women are supposed to be playing and that what we're really asking people to do and what Kate's done such a great job doing in her book is saying, no, 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 let's think bigger than this. Let's start modeling something different. Let's reinforce these different roles that feel more appropriate for us and our family. And let's you know, really shift the perception about um, you know, what, what our beliefs are. I can care, you can care. I can cook, you can cook, we can cook we can earn income, we can find time together that makes our family feel uh, more balanced. For 23 years, Third Path has been talking about this and what we argue is that there's kind of three things at work here. One is thinking differently about work. So we have time and energy for caregiving, whether that's children or aging parents or our communities, that we think differently around families. This is what we're focusing on a lot today with Kate. But we also know that it has to happen where we create different uh, norms around leadership and careers because what's happening at the top of the organization really ends up influencing what uh, happens for both men and women inside an organization. And when you put all those three things together, we can make big change. And as Kristen said in her book many, many, many years ago, ultimately public policy is an expression of people's values and beliefs. So what we're doing is we're creating a community of people doing it differently that will hopefully bubble up to creating better public policy, better organizational policy. I think we're already starting to see that. We've got a lot of great resources on our website. 
this is one that I'm referencing where you can kind of do a little self-assessment about what some of the challenges you might be facing on the work side or on the home side. So we've got lots of resources for you to learn how to take a next step towards change. All right, let's get back to our discussion with Kate and with Kristen and talk a little bit about this, these boxes that we're in. Um, these boxes that men are in and how we start changing them. Where does the change begin with the, with the man, with the woman, with the couple, where, where does that change begin? So I credit a call to men. They're a fantastic organization based in New York that have this man box. Um, uh, it's like, I guess it's a facilitated session that they do. And, and I I've adopted that for some of my work. And I think it's really powerful to show how for years we have defined masculinity very narrowly, right? Masculinity, you know, the, the ideal man is tall and fit and strong and not emotional and never complains and has everything under control and can provide for his family financially. Um, and any other boy or man that has attributes that fit outside of that box, if you're either smaller or you don't have a lot of money or uh, you are emotional or you prefer caregiving work, you know, those make you somehow lesser of a man, that there was just this one way to be masculine. And I think, you know, Jessica, you mentioned this earlier that we've seen a real change over the last decade, maybe, where we're starting to talk about there's so many different ways to be a successful man. I think for a long time, we've been working on changing norms around women, right? That women can be leaders, that women can be um, decision makers and, and have leadership roles. And I don't think that we've been, I think we're behind in sort of changing our, the framework of how we think of men. So where do I think it starts? I think it starts with our, our boys. I think it starts with the way we talk to boys, the way we educate them. I have, uh, my son is eight, my daughter is 11. And, you know, I very intentionally, along with a lot of other mothers of sons, talk about naming emotions, feeling emotions, putting words to those feelings that you have inside. Because if, if you, if you stop it, what are the three, um, the, mad, sad, glad, those are the three, um, feelings that are okay for boys and anything else is deemed not okay, but that doesn't help them with their range of feelings. And so working with boys to feel humiliated, to feel left out, to feel overwhelmed, to feel whatever that feeling is and put a word towards it, because when they grow up and they have friends or a partner who says, I feel left out, I feel unsupported, that, that man will be able to say, oh yeah, I've had that feeling too. I know what that's like. I can empathize with you. So I think it starts with boys. Um, no, you know, when I when I talk to a lot of couples that are having trouble, I hear a lot from women saying, like, I my my male partner's too stoic. He won't, he he doesn't ask the right thing of me. He's not sharing the right thing of him. So we're not raising boys to be able to be equal partners if we're stopping at mad, sad, glad. So that's one thing that I think we should as a community work on. And for sure, parents, but teachers, coaches, camp counselors, grandparents, aunts and uncles, neighbors, I mean, anyone who has a kid in your life, whether you see that child every day or one week a summer, I think there's a role to play there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really great. And I do think that's another way we're seeing the world change is, is uh, it's opening up for men to and boys 
to have such a wider range of options of how to show up in the world. And that's profoundly powerful. Um, I'm thinking about what you were saying too. And, you know, this whole idea of, of feelings, it's interesting. And Krista, maybe I'll ask you this next. It's I'm thinking about where it began for me and Jeff. And interestingly, one place it began, Kate, is, you know, very um, overlapping with that concept. Um, my husband is uh, definitely an empathetic person, but probably, you know, not raised to have a lot a wide range of feelings, but out of his empathy, he wanted to be supportive of me. And I remember way, way back feeling like um, I would have to call my sister if I was frustrated about something, but he wanted to be a resource to me and be able to listen to me. And I, I remember when it happened exactly, you know, he used to try to solve it then. And I said, you know, I, I just need you to listen. If you really want to be that person who helps me think about this stuff, just listen. You don't need to solve it. And my husband became the expert listener around what was bothering me. And I think that became an ingredient in how we made changes too around our lifestyle. If there was something that needed shifting, he could listen really well without having to immediately solve it. Mm. Um, in fact, I remember as we were going through elder care the first time and having no idea what was going on. And um, we went back to that option of taking turns, listening to each other to solve what needed to happen. Um, and the sheer act of just listening um, and caring about that person, you know, back to that idea, he cared about me. He wanted me to be uh, happy with our relationship. We were able to kind of start solving things. Um, Kristen, when you think back about how that change, what helped you make change, what got you started towards change, what, what comes to your mind? Well, I think that I think one of the reasons that I was initially attracted to my husband is his ability to, to show deep emotion, but sort of to Kate's point about the constraints, it was in outbursts, right? Like it was stoic, 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 right? And then I'm <laughs> angry or I'm sad, right? And, um, but I, I do remember, I do, I do remember that uh, when I first, um, when we were first dating, uh, his uh, grandfather died just as we got engaged. And I remember him getting off the phone from his with his mother and being sad because he couldn't go to the funeral. He was in the middle of finals. We were babies, we were in college. And I remember him just breaking down in tears, right? And then comforting him and being like, oh, this, this is a person that I can, uh, that I can live with because he can show the emotion when he needs to. I think what what worked for me then when we came to change is I knew where his depth of emotions were, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew where, what he cared about. He cared deeply about his relationship with me. And the fact that that was on the line was an opening for us to talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I'm angry because I care about our relationship and I'm worried about our relationship. That's an emotional conversation we could have. I knew that he cared about our daughter, like would, you know, go to the moon for her, right? Okay, what she needs from you now is this, for you to be around more so that you build a relationship with her, uh, an emotional relationship with her. So I, I knew enough about him to know, here are the emotional entry points, right? For us to have a conversation about what we want to be different um, in our relationship. Yeah, 
Wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, I, I, we don't have to spend time on it today, but I do want to at least mention that sometimes, and you talk a little bit about this in the book, I don't think it needs big emphasis, is that sometimes women constrain men and they want them to be the, the stoic person and they don't want them to show emotions or they're gatekeeping to be that, you know, primary relationship with the child um, and not wanting to share that spotlight. Um, and again, I don't think that we need to spend much time on that today, but just, you know, remember that listeners as you're, as you're thinking about where you want to go next, um, are you open to really sharing this um, and shifting the norms and roles um, and perceptions as well? So we've been talking a little bit about how we can move to a more equal partnership Interestingly, what we got to is it is really a changing um, assumptions around what men can be and men want to be and young men can be and boys can be. I love that because I think we're really uh, creating a very different world with these kinds of uh, ways of being. Kate, when you think about where we have talked about where we're going to go next, what's really been burning in your mind around getting this message out that you want to make sure people hear today? that is important in creating equal partnerships? So I, because I think because the people who are listening today are probably thinking about this at a fairly deep level, what I would suggest is that we work on connecting the dots. And let me give you an example. I was at a bookstore a few weeks ago and chatting to a woman who I had just met. And in the course of about 10 minutes, she shared even less, five minutes, she shared that she was very frustrated because her mother was aging and her brother had dumped all of her, all of the elder care work to her because there was this gender assumption that because she's female, she would be better at taking care of mom. And so she said she's super frustrated with her brother who got like a total pass, doesn't do anything to help with mom. And it's to totally taken over this woman's life. And then like two minutes later, you know, the conversation had evolved and changed and I mentioned something about my son and she used the term, she didn't say boys will be boys, but it had that undertone. It was sort of like, you know, boys, they're just so messy. And I, I didn't say it at the time because then we were interrupted. There was an event, we were all being shuffled over, but I wanted to say to her, so I'm going to say to everyone, we need to be careful because we constantly say that we want gender equality, but then we slip and we make these gendered statements that assume boys do one thing, girls do another, men do one thing. And I think that they're related. I think that there's a very strong connection between excusing boys from being dirty when they're little and excusing men from caregiving jobs when they're grown up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we need to do a lot of self-reflection and really push ourselves. And when we first notice that we might say these things out loud and be like, oh, wait, Mm, and then pull them back. And then after some practice, you'll catch it in your head before you say it out loud. But to help edit our own thoughts and to work with our close friends and family members who are also concerned about finding shared um, relationships, that I think there's a lot of gendered assumptions that are feeding this sort of perpet you know, perpetuating what we have. And we need to be better at connecting those dots. Yeah. Yeah, and interestingly, you're referencing kind of our community conversations, but when I was reading that list of um, expected characteristics for men, that same list could be described for what a leader is supposed to look like, mm -hmm. a provider, stoic, in control, decisive, unlike a girl, <laughs> and uh, and right. so 
I think it's like what's happening at work too about who's supposed to be the leader style. And luckily, interesting, the pandemic taught us, no, um, we need empathetic managers. We need a whole different kind of leader today too. So it's, it's nice to see that we have some change happening in our families, but we can have some change happening in our workplaces around what it means to be a really good um, employee leader um, and that, you know, somebody who brings those uh, feeling empathy skills, good listening skills, to the workplace is going to really benefit the workplace too. Uh, mm -hmm. Wonderful. Kristen, when you're thinking about kind of, you know, you've been on this journey for a while, you've seen your own life shaped over time from some of these choices. What do you think is kind of next for people to, to be, if they want to take the next step towards this, what should they be thinking about? I would, it's very similar to what Kate said. I would say, think about the long haul and then start with, with what feels doable now, because as mm -hmm. an executive coach, I know that people can only do what they can do in this moment. Right. And so whatever small step feels doable now do it, but, but plan for the long haul. And what I, what I want to reinforce is that these, these op opportunities or risks, I guess, to slip into sort of traditional gendered roles, um, come all throughout the life cycle and they come unpredictably and they come at you fast, right? You don't expect that your child is going to have a mental health crisis, right? You don't expect that you're going to have, you know, emergent, a parent with emergency surgery. And then the next day your whole life is transformed, right? And so, and those are the those are the points at which you can slip into those gendered roles very quickly and they get solidified very fast. I mean, I'm, I'm literally in a Facebook group, private Facebook group right now with the same women who were in my preschool, right? Mother's support group. And it's called caring for our elderly parents. Yeah. And we talk about, I mentioned one day, um, my husband and his uh, brother um, have hired a care coordinator. We're not we're not super local. So we have hired a care coordinator for his parents. And I said to my group, which is very familiar with my book, as you might imagine, we've hired a daughter. Basically <laughs> what has happened is we have hired a daughter. And I want to make that clear because once again, just like when we're little, when the kids are little, that is often an underpaid woman of color, right? Same thing as childcare, same systemic issue. Um, my husband, I was worried about his health and well-being in the six months when, it, when his parents were in crisis, he had to push back on his job, right? Just like he did when our daughter was one. He had to push back and say, you know what? No, I gotta, I gotta take this week off or I gotta be four days a week for now or I'm not gonna be in the office, right? Um, so those, those, those things happen over and over again at different points in your life. And so doing the work now that you can do whatever it is, is gonna pay dividends for when those inevitable moments hit. So yeah. that's that's what I would say. Yeah, and and um, again, just two points I wanna underscore there, then I'm gonna put up a last couple of uh, thoughts for us to get to the end of our call, but two points to underscore first, you know, uh, what I heard there is time is important and that when we're pressed for time, it all becomes much more difficult. In fact, it was interesting. We're going to, on our next month's webinar. We have Alex Payne coming back talking about the value of a 32 hour work week or a four day work week. 
and that one of the things that they found in Sweden, which is already way ahead of the game for um, around these issues, is that when people worked less, they actually had better work-life balance. Um, they felt increased time for domestic chores and duties and hobbies. And just having that extra time gave them the wiggle room to kind of manage things better. So again, part of this is our mindset at home. And part of this is um, parents becoming experts at saying what's the right amount of time to engage in different things so we have the energy to make wise choices yeah and Last if thing i, can I want to go back jessica i think that's another i would add on the other end of the spectrum let's teach our boys and also what we need men to do these days is we need them to push back at work yeah. i'm constantly yeah. telling my husband you are in a position now of power at your organization and you can do it. You can push back. You can make um, for yourself and for other people in a yeah. way that changes your workplace. And we need men to do that because workplaces, managers, and the people that run them at this point are not at a point where they understand the long-term invisible um, productivity benefit from doing this. Organizations just aren't there yet. But we have a lot of men, Gen X men who are in positions of power now who absolutely, if they push back, if they challenge the norms, can make a difference in their workplace. Right. And just because if you didn't have parental leave and you're sad about that, that doesn't mean that other people shouldn't have it either. I hear a lot of people say, well, I made it through even though I didn't have it. Don't we want something better for future generations? So to encourage younger generations to change norms and have something that you didn't have access to. Yeah. Fight alongside with them. Wonderful. All right. Well, we could go on and on, but I do have to keep an eye on the clock. I want to say a last couple of things before we wrap things up. Oh, um, and as you can see, our nonprofit has been very successful in building a community of role models and change agents. So please help us continue this work and support our free resources by making a small monthly or annual contribution through our website. All right, well, I wanna go back to you guys, give you the last word. Oh my goodness, I love that we got to a place where we're saying the profoundness of the kind of change that Kate wrote about in her book. This is really about, and this is why Third Path is a nonprofit. We saw this as societal shift, a bigger, better society where we had people of all genders having time, energy, and belief in themselves that they can be caregivers um, and they can do this alongside of work. So it's just really great to have your book out there telling this important story one more time, Kate. Before we hear from you as the last, last word, Kristen, any last advice you could give to our listeners today about this uh, journey to create a more shared or equal approach at home? I think what I will say is, you know, when I was talking to people about my book, it always amazed me that the, the entry point was always about the sharing the work at home, right? It was always the thing people were the most upset about, women were the most resentful about, men were the most confused about, right? And it, and it kind of frustrated me because, and people used to say, well, that's not a big deal. So you don't need to write about that. And it's not a big deal, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Like minimizing that. And even in my own head, it was, it was sort of like a, is that really an important thing to talk about? And so I think what I want to leave us with is it absolutely is important to talk about and it is important to work on at home um, because it is, I think, the entry point for most people in thinking about these gen larger gendered issues and how the systems and cultural norms work on them. And it's the entry point for them making their immediate lives better <laughs> the most quickly. 
right? And the most sustainably for the long haul. So I just wanna reinforce to people who might be thinking or getting some of those messages, it's absolutely worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And it's worth it for you. And it's worth it for your kids or your elderly parents. And it's worth it for your community to do the work of figuring out how to root out some of those assumptions at home. Wonderful. Well, really well said. Thank you very much, Kristen. Kate, you got the last, last word. I think I would just add to everything wonderful that has been said today. I, I still get people who, when I, when I talk about what I write, they'll say, oh, that's not for me. My kids are grown up or I don't have kids or I'm single or I'm divorced. That's someone else's issue. And so one thing I keep repeating over and over is gender equality is everyone's issue and we all have a role to play. So whoever's listening today, whatever your home looks like and whoever your community is, you have something that you can do. You can influence children. You can support a new couple in your life. You can you know, um, encourage your grandmother friend to be more uh, gender forward thinking with her grandchildren. There's just so many ways that we can all be involved. I just really encourage no one to think that's not for me. I hope everyone realizes I have a role to play. Wow. Thank you both. This has really been inspiring, uh, such important work, such important wisdom. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you.